Hey, Dark Oak friends, this is Stephanie. When Cynthia and I were planning this month, we realized we have an extra bonus Wednesday, which means we're going to give you an extra bonus sneak peek into one of our favorite Patreon episodes. This is episode two in our Patreon catalog, and I promise you will not be disappointed. If you like what you hear, simply head to patreon.com and search for The Dark Oak. That means that you can get one of these episodes every single month, in addition to our other weekly releases. We hope you enjoy, and we'll plan to see you back next week for our regularly scheduled programming. Shiver on! Hello, Shiver Seekers. Are you ready to follow us into the unknown? I'm Cynthia. And I'm Stephanie. And you have found the Dark Oak Patreon. to our patreon we love you (laughs) we do our patreon has been slowly growing you guys that are listening to us now are like inaugural members we will founding fathers and mothers founding peoples founding peoples of the dark i'm gonna keep interrupting something (laughs) okay okay, because this is what you pay for patreons (laughs) to hear her interrupt me Okay, your turn, Cynthia. Okay, thanks. I was just going to say, you will forever hold a very special place in our hearts for supporting us in the very beginning. Okay, that's for reals. Was that worth letting me speak? (laughs) (laughs) Well, literally, I was like, besides our moms, you guys are our our biggest fans right now. (laughs) Our moms who are, you know... The actual first Patreon members, but <laughs> and I'm, I think I'm probably going to cut it out in the beginning. But we just finished pep talking each other and ourselves. We did just a couple of moms and wives saying we're gonna we're gonna do something and then doing it. And now we're fans of ourselves, which may not be very modest, but I don't know. We're feeling ourselves today. Go us, <laughs> go us, girl power, <laughs> girl power. But we love you men too. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. We we love all of the mystery shiver seeker lovers. We do. All <laughs> of our listeners. Well, today is my first Patreon episode because you covered our last episode. That's right. And so Stephanie's bringing it today. And it's a pretty good one. I'm excited. Yeah. Do you want to go over any of our Branch of Hope stuff? I mean, I think everybody that's on our Patreon would... No, but let's do it just in case. Yeah, you probably do. In case you are new to the Patreon or to the Dark Oak, each month through the Branch of Hope Fund, we give a portion of our earnings from our Patreon. That's you. That's you. And our sponsors to a nonprofit organization related to the first two episodes of the month. The best part is you, our listeners, get to decide. Patreons get a double vote. That's right. You do. You get a double vote. So to find out how to be a part of the movement, just head over to thedarkoak.com or you can stay with us until the end of this episode and we will give you all of the details. Exactly. Okay, now this case blows my mind. Okay. I tried to find everything that I could on this case and... There's a lot of details about the disappearance. It's the disappearance of Cynthia Anderson, which was also crazy because every time I wrote Cynthia, I thought about you, Cynthia. (laughs) And I will say it's it's weird to hear the disappearance of Cynthia. Yeah. That's weird to hear. Yeah. Luckily, this Cynthia goes by Cindy. Okay. um, Which you do not. 
You do not identify as a Cindy. I do not. No matter how hard you may try. <laughs> not you as in Stephanie, but you as in anybody else. Anybody. Do not call her a Cindy. I do not identify as a Cindy. <laughs> so I'll only introduce her as Cynthia in the very beginning. Okay. And she's Cindy. Great. Um, from there on out. But the disappearance of Cynthia Anderson is really wild. And it's truly one I have no idea. You know, normally after we finish a case at the very end, we kind of have some theory we're leaning towards. Mm-hmm. I really have no idea. I It is very strange. It's a very strange case. And it's got a lot of stuffed chalk into it. So we've got a disappearance. There's a drug ring. There are ominous dreams and premonitions. There's a stalker. Romance novels. I mean, it's all here. Wow. What else could you want, really? And I will tell you that, at least by her name alone, I don't recognize this case. So I don't know that this is one I'm familiar with. I'm actually surprised to hear you say that because, believe it or not, this case was covered back in the original Unsolved Mysteries. Oh. Yeah. Like the original original. Right. The Um, the good. The good Unsolved Mysteries. Mysteries. Now, nothing's come up since then, though. Oh, wow. So all the information they found at that point, it really hasn't been added to that much. That's why I wasn't able to give you a tremendous more amount of information Mm -hmm. um, since it was originally covered. But I think her case is worth covering again. One, because it's just so bizarre. Number two, again, I mean, we always really do hope that anything we share, someone has some information. Mm -hmm. And I would, gosh, I Again, I think this case may fall under ones like I hope is solved in my lifetime. Mm. I don't know if it will because there are so many dead ends and there are so many possibilities based on the way I call it a crime scene, but it wasn't even a crime scene. It's just she just vanished, which you and I have talked about is always so mind blowing to me. Yeah. You know, these are my the cases that really baffle me the most, that intrigue me the most. Yeah. Yeah. So. Talked about on Unsolved Mysteries, and then a few people have covered it since then. But because there's been there have been no developments, it really hasn't been one that's all too commonly talked about. So I'm excited to share your yeah. story. I'm glad you're bringing it to light. Maybe some fresh ears will recognize something and be able to help out. Yeah, I think it's a really good one for our Patreon too, because I know you guys like some twists and turns. Okay, bring it, girl, <laughs> bring it. All right, so here's everything that I have on August 4th of 1981. Which, that was my birthday, birth month, birth year, birthday year. How do I say that? Birth year? 1981. 1981. I was born in 1981. (laughs) And that was the most eloquent way that I could say it. (laughs) Uh, But 20-year-old Cynthia Anderson, or Cindy, as she was called, Mm -hmm. so I'll refer to her as Cindy for the rest of the episode. Um, She left home at 8.30 a.m. to report to her job as a receptionist at the Neller and Rabbit Legal Center in a shopping center in Toledo, Ohio. After her 20-minute commute, she arrived, and as expected, she arrived at an empty law office. She was always the one that opened first in the morning, and also she knew that the lawyers that she worked with that morning had, they had court dates. Okay. So they were out of the office. So I was a receptionist at a law firm when I was 20 years old, and yes, I was always the first one to get there. I had to be yeah. there before everybody else opened it up. Yep. So I can place myself in this situation. That's exactly right. So she ride an empty office, but she was the one that would go in. It was a really balmy day, mm-hmm. as we'll talk about. And so she was the first one to go in, turn on the air conditioning. She turned on her little radio. Like she got set up for her day. So she did make it inside the office. Yeah. Okay. 
She arrived. The front door was closed. She let herself in. And then she locked the door behind her. Okay. And she went into the office. Now, around noon, two of the law partners returned to the office following their morning court sessions. It was James Rabbit and Jay Feldstein. And they found the locked door, which, mm-hmm. again, they would have expected. Because so the door was still The locked. door was still locked because they would have expected Cindy to be in there. Mm-hmm. You know, and they always they always told her, please lock the door behind you. That's just like a common safety sure. situation. Sure. Yeah. When they came in, they were happy to see that Cindy had turned the air conditioning on as, again, the temperature outside was close to like 90 degrees. So it was a hot day. They didn't leave the air conditioning running when no one was in the building. So they were happy to see the office was nice and cool. They also noted that Cindy's radio was on at her desk, which she normally had. You know, it's pretty common, I think, when you're at a desk job to have a little entertainment going on. So they had her radio on and they noticed that the office smelled like nail polish remover which would not have been uncommon because if there's nothing going on there, they let her kind of, you know, do what she wanted to do. She, she could have been painting her nails, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, again, they went, oh, OK, well, Cindy's here somewhere. Sure. But they didn't see her right away. But they went in their um, offices and there were phone messages on their desks and everything at the reception area was immaculate, as Cindy always left it. Again, no sign of Cindy, but they thought because it was noon, maybe she had just stepped out for lunch. Sure. Right? Reasonable. Reasonable. There were several fast food restaurants in the area. I think there was a McDonald's across the street. So like, well, maybe she just ran out to get some food. And this is a standalone building, I'm presuming. Or in a a strip mall. It's in like a strip mall. Exactly. And so they said, well, she probably just stepped out because of the time of day. And again, nothing in the office seemed unusual. Sure. But after a while... She didn't return. Mm-hmm. And they thought, that's not like her. She was always very responsible. She was always very on time. And then they started noticing some things that kind of weren't lining up. The fact that she was gone so long meant to them, well, maybe she didn't just pop out to go across the street. Maybe she went to go meet a friend for lunch. But they noticed her car was still in the parking lot. Locked. Mm. So mm-hmm. that was a little strange. And they sure. said, okay, well, where could she have gone? Then they noticed a few other things, like the phones were not on hold. If you're a receptionist and you step out, you would make it so the phone calls would go to voicemail. Mm -hmm, The -hmm. phones just wouldn't ring. Right. So they noticed none of the phones were going on hold, like the phones were not on hold. Also, whenever Cindy would step out, she would always leave a note in the window, like the front door, letting clients know, hey, I've just stepped out for lunch. I'll be back at this time. There was no note. Okay. Now, I have to say, I actually give these attorneys a lot of credit that they started noticing these things pretty quickly when she didn't come back. I do too. Yeah. yeah. Good for them. One thing that may have put them on notice is that Cindy had a stalker. <gasps> oh, I just, I just got chills. I just got chills. Yes. Or at least she told them that she did. Oh, I, I really, I literally just have chills because I just can see that this is really bad. I can just see this is going somewhere bad. It's bad. The stalking had started about a year earlier when Cindy started having horrible nightmares about being abducted. I'm so creeped out. I don't know why. I'm literally. And I feel like these twists, these are just, and it, I feel like this almost plays out like a movie. Like, this can't be real life, but these are absolutely confirmed facts. So she started having these nightmares about being abducted. 
And it started with a series of violent dreams. And in most of them, Cindy would open her front door to a man that she knew only to have him force her from the home and then murder her. And these were like repeated like night terrors that she was having. And again, at this point, there was no stalker, if you will, in the picture, but she just kept having these dreams or premonitions. If you, you know, keep that in the back of your mind as we kind of go through the rest of the story. But, you know, and she would tell her family who would say, it's just night terrors. You're just going through something. Your brain's processing something. It doesn't mean anything. Unfortunately, they only got worse, though. The point where Cindy was almost afraid to go to sleep. Wow. Because she was so disturbed by oh these dreams. Oh my gosh, I, they were happening that often. Yeah. And <gasps> and even if they weren't happening that often, just the severity of them mm. would make you really terrified to have to relive that. As you know, you, one of your kids went through night terrors, right? Yes, as did I. As oh, you did. I did too when I was a child. And um and I, interestingly, and I know this is frou fruit, I also have had premonitions that have come to pass. So I'm one of those people even though that it's like sounds crazy like it sounds like yeah that's said, what like i'm saying movie. i'm like i just kind of want to throw this out there because I, mm-hmm. how do you explain these things that happen as someone who strangely i don't know how to explain it. it's going to make me sound weird but as someone who sometimes knows that something's going to happen before it happens and then it actually happens and i can't under- explain the why but as someone who's had that experience I do not discount this. Now, your premonitions, do you find them to be like positive, negative, neutral? Is it like deja vu? Like, what is it like for you? I would say I've had all three. I've had some that were uh, positive. Quick example. When I was a little kid, uh, I had a really bad dream that my cat, my kitten, was being taken to the pound. And I was running and chasing this kitten because all I wanted to do was to catch up with this truck that had my kitten in it, like this pound truck. Right. From Lady in the Tramp or exactly. something. Exactly. literally was what yes. I was picturing, like being pulled by a horse yes. with the sad puppy eyes in the back of it. Yes. And I needed to like catch up so I could say goodbye to my kitten. And at Aww. the end of the dream, I caught up to the truck and I was able to say goodbye to my kitten. And the next morning, my mother told me that my kitten had been hit and killed by a car the day before. <gasps> and I that dream for me, even as a little child, I immediately was like, oh, I, I was able to say goodbye to her. Now, that's Whoa, weird, right? Oh, yeah. I've also had things where one time I went to cash a check. It was back in the day before, like, you deposited checks or right. whatever. Like, I literally went to cash a check and I, in my mind, thought, she's going to give me an extra $100. And I swear to you, 30 seconds later, she hands me my money. No, she gave me an extra true. $100. I swear Maybe it's to something you. about Cynthia's then. Maybe it's something about <laughs> maybe, the name. <laughs> but, but see, for me, that was a neutral. That was a, I mean, yeah. obviously, I gave the $100 back. But yeah, but that's weird that you knew that was. I just and, knew she And did. was it like a deja vu or you just, like, you had seen it play out? It was like, have you ever just had a thought that just pops into your head, like, for no reason? No. It was, it was literally... <laughs> It was literally she was giving me my money and I thought she's going to give me an extra $100. And then I counted the money and she gave me an extra $100. And it only was significant because it happened. Like if she had not given me an extra $100, I would have never thought of it again. Yeah. But the fact that I was like, she's going to give me an extra $100. And then it happened. That's so random. And why would you think she would give you an extra $100? I don't know. It just popped into my head. Wow. And, And I will tell you, my sister and my father also have situations like this where sometimes a pop and and that's kind of how I would best describe it most of the time other than the dream it's oftentimes a thought that just pops into your head like you don't control it and then it would never mean anything 
until it's confirmed to be true. And then it's like, oh, that's weird. I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. I'm halfway. I mean, I'm really torn right now. Part of me wants to say, if you ever see something that's going to happen in my life, I want you to tell me. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? Don't tell me. (laughs) Don't tell me. Well, I had one in the last year where I had a horrible dream that a friend was involved in an accident, really horrible accident. And I woke up and it felt so real and like it was so awful and it really bothered me. And in that scenario, we don't really talk about religion on here much, but I'm a person of faith. And so I just prayed because I thought maybe this was like a warning. And I just prayed that. What I saw did not happen. I never said anything to this person. Of course, you wouldn't say that to somebody. Was it me? It was not you. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I never said anything to this person until a couple months later, they were in a really bad car accident. Oh. And then they were fine. And that's when I said, okay, I have to tell you what happened. And I was able to let it go because until that moment, I wasn't sure what it was. And then I was able to let it go because I thought, okay, it happened and they were fine. And so sometimes I think... Whatever you want to call this, sometimes I think someone allows you to have it so that maybe you can, like, pray. I I don't know. I don't really know the why. I think that's the weird part. Well, I I think that it's interesting that you don't have, like, the final destination approach. Like, we're going to tell you, we're going to show you what's going to happen, and nothing you can do can change it. Thank God, because then I would be like, no, please. Yeah. Don't don't let me. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. So all that to say... I am a little bit of a weirdo. Some of you might now think, but uh, <laughs> but all that to say, I don't discount this. I don't discount this because to me, I know the difference between a bad dream or like a weird feeling. Yeah. Like, no, this is different. And so the fact that she took this seriously and this actually caused her fear made me think, I think sometimes people, people have something in them that just lets them know stuff. Well, strangely, It did. So she started having these dreams. And then shortly after she started having these dreams or premonitions, if we want to call them that, someone spray painted I Love You, Cindy by GW on a brick wall that was clearly visible from where Cindy sat at the legal office. I'm telling you, I'm covered. Stephanie, everything (laughs) you're saying is giving me chill bumps. Now, she had no idea who GW was. Which is even scarier. But the fact that she was having these dreams, kind of like you, she was like, okay, if nothing happens, then maybe they are just dreams. Right. But the fact that they kept escalating, they kept getting worse, and then this graffiti showed up out of nowhere. It was really scary. That's terrifying. Yeah. And for her, that was confirmation. Like, okay, something something really gnarly is happening in my life right now. And that graffiti remained up for six months before the building finally painted over it. And then it reappeared again. <gasps> no. A few weeks later. So this is somebody who is in this vicinity close to her. Because for them, okay, it's not just somebody who just paints something random and then it goes away. When it disappears, a few weeks they later, put it back. I love you, Cindy, by GW. And this is someone who's obviously near her place of employment creepy right (laughs) that's so creepy yeah that's so creepy yeah in a few publications i also read that the initials c j and g w were also found in several other locations in the building i didn't find this in the police report but it was noted so i just want to throw that out there that could be something additional now cindy's middle name was jane C, J, and G, W. 
Now, even if those additional points weren't in there, it's still, I mean, that would weird you out. Yes, but that, the fact that it is her initials. The fact that it is her initials. And the fact that it's her initials that not everybody would know. Not everybody knows your middle name. Right. Then the threatening phone call started. Oh, no. Yeah. The day before she vanished, a client of the law firm had witnessed one of these calls. Well, actually, I should say several of these calls. Larry Mullins had come in to pay his legal bill and had been chatting with Cindy when he wrote out his check. The phone rang and Cindy answered it in her normal, cheerful voice, then quickly slammed the phone down. A few seconds later, it rang again, and Cindy sounded a bit more tentative when she answered it and again slammed the receiver down. And he saw all this happen. Noting that she was really petrified, Larry asked Cindy if everything was okay, and she gave him kind of this, like, hesitant smile and told him she was fine. When he tried to press her for more information, she admitted the calls had been happening a lot, but again, wouldn't say anything else about him. She wouldn't say who was on the other line. She wouldn't say what they were saying. She wouldn't give any more details about how frequently they've been having happening. But again, it was kind of well known that these phone calls were coming in. And this client, Larry, absolutely felt like he witnessed this kind of transaction. Mm. So much so that Larry paid his bill and drove home, but was so compelled by what he just saw that he called the police himself and asked them to go do a welfare check on Cindy. Okay, so this was not, oh, that was weird. He, for him to call the police. Yeah, like weird This is serious. Exactly. And he didn't really know her. I mean, he knew her just from kind of personal exchanges, but didn't know her. But he felt like she was so terrified that he needed to bring it to someone's attention. Wow. So in in my book, that's that's a real thing. This poor woman, not only is she terrified when she sleeps from these dreams, but now she's got graffiti showing up and getting scary phone calls. And even if the three things aren't related, she is terrified. She is absolutely terrified. And even years later, Larry told reporters that he could still remember the look of fear on Cindy's face and noted that it gave him chills. He said, quote, the look on her face, still, I can picture it today. She was scared. She was honestly and sincerely scared. It gave me shivers to think of the look on her face. I went home and I called the police department and asked them to do a drive-by and check on her. Something scared the hell out of her, in my opinion. This makes me want to cry. Yeah. She was really scared. It really makes me want to cry. Yeah. Now, it's unclear if the police were dispatched to the shopping center that day, but if they were, if they had done a drive-by, nothing nothing came of it. Okay. And again, this is before caller ID. So right, there's no way to know where the 81. calls. Exactly. There's no way to know where the calls are coming from. So you, you know, we'd say, well, she needs to get at the bottom of who's calling, but how how do you do that? Right. And again, I think at this point she was so scared, she was just trying to it just ignore them and see if they would just go away. You know, it's almost like head in the sand, like I'm too scared to even try to confront this person right. for fear that they may escalate. And I'm going to assume that being in 1981, there was no like surveillance cameras that would have caught. I don't know if surveillance was a thing in the 80s, but if there was even graffiti wouldn't necessarily be enough to. Right. To, but somebody disappearing from their place of work would be worth looking at some surveillance cameras. Yeah. If they ab- are, if they exist. Absolutely. And again, I think you, you said it earlier, you know, having weird dreams Graffiti on a wall, kind of harassing-ish phone calls. Mm -hmm. All those independently wouldn't mean anything. Right. But when you put them all together 
and now you have a missing person, that's it's it makes it much more significant. Sure. All those things put together, right? Now, Cindy's fears had escalated so much that she even had her firm place a panic button at her desk. And that way, if anything happened to her while she was alone, it would ring to the office next door. Because again, you know, Wi-Fi wasn't really a thing then, but it would ring to the office next door. And of course, Cindy was always very fastidious about making sure that the door was locked because of all of this. That's when, when I said when, you know, the attorneys arrived, not only had they told her, make sure you're locking the door, which was general safe practice for anyone working alone in an office, you would definitely do that. Yes, absolutely. But in her case, definitely make sure you're always locking the door and making sure you're safe. And again, her boss had put this buzzer in there for her. Okay, so now I have questions that you will probably get to, but I already was thinking if she's locked inside, what would cause her to open the door to someone? But now knowing her history of how scared she is and how, uh, you know, just aware of potential danger she is. Now the big question for me is if she's locked inside her office, what caused her to leave? In an unplanned way, which we know she did because she didn't put the phones on hold. She didn't put the sign up. So tell yeah. me more. Tell yeah. me more. Yeah. We haven't even really gotten to the fact that she has disappeared. I right. mean, I've alluded to the fact, right? right? The attorneys come back to the office. They're like, okay, well, she was clearly here this morning. Mm-hmm. Now she's not here. She hasn't come back in a long time. The office wasn't left. It wasn't disheveled. There was no sign of like any crime or struggle or anything like that. But it's not left the way that she would have left it. Right. If, if she had left you know, for any amount of time, for any amount of time. Exactly. And they've got this whole issue of she possibly has a stalker coming after her. Every time you say that, I'm I'm, I'm going to keep saying it. (laughs) I'm covered in chill bumps. So James Rabbit quickly decided to call her home. He was like, I'm not fooling around with this. So this was several hours after her disappearance, because, again, they're like, maybe she's at lunch. Maybe we just missed her. Again, smell of nail polish remover. They're like, she was just here. Right. So they wanted to give her a little time. But when she didn't come back, he called her home. Clearly, she wasn't there. And then he called the police. Good for him. Good Good for for him. him. Exactly. And as James Rabbit was searching Cindy's desk for clues, so he called the police and then he was like, let me just look around and see if there's anything here. Maybe she left a note. Maybe there was something, you know, written down somewhere she went. He saw her latest romance novel sitting on her desk. Now, this was not unusual at all. Again, between servicing clients and attorneys and answering phone calls. She was at her desk a lot. That was kind of her pastime was reading these romance novels. And this is a small office. Uh, my office was like a major law firm. This is a very this is small two office. two attorneys. Exactly. So you're well, going to have downtime. There are a few more attorneys there, but okay. she was the only receptionist. And there was definitely downtime. Okay. Especially if the attorneys are out, you know, for the sure. morning on court dates You're not stuff. getting calls. You, you, you know. Made all your copies. You, you yeah. made all your copies. Exactly. So she's just kind of, you know, kicking back, reading her romance novel in between phone calls and clients coming in to pay and things like that. Right? Okay. Finding the book wasn't a big deal. But the way it was left, it was open to a certain page and then laid down, face down, like she had just stepped away. Again, like I'm coming right back. Like I'm coming right back. Right. He picked it up and looked. and. If I had not corroborated these facts, I would not think this is true. However, when he opened the pages, the chapter that the book was open to stopped him in his tracks. It was open to the only violent passage in the book where the lead character, a heroine, was being abducted by knife point and was fearing for her life. 
Ugh. If that doesn't give you chills, I'm genuinely not sure what would. And again, like, what? Like, just the, just, that's so ominous. So this book has been a really strange twist in the case because a lot of people have really looked into his, like, was it a message? Or, you know what I'm saying? Why was it open to that passage? Unless it's just purely ironic. But, like, what are the, which is possible. It is absolutely possible. But, but what a bizarre coincidence. Right. In a case full of already bizarre yes. facts. Bizarre, bizarre happenings. Mm -hmm. Of the book, Rabbit said, it wasn't until really looking at the book, particularly reading the passage in the novel, that I had a sickening feeling that something was really wrong. That's interesting that an intellectual person, I'm assuming this is an attorney, this is somebody who's intellectual, oftentimes intellectual, are less into the say what I am, like a frou-frou feeling premonition kind of person. But like this intellectual person saw this and was like, oh, this is creepy. Like, this is scary. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that he felt so strongly about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a strange twist. Yeah. Really strange. So the Toledo Police Department responded very quickly. And to their credit, they, they treated it very seriously. As a disappearance. All right, there good. was no wait 24 hours, 48 hours. That's what we want to hear. Yeah, exactly. They were like, okay, something is not is not adding up. And although Cindy was an adult and she was free to come and go as she pleased, there was nothing in her background to suggest that she was the kind of person that would voluntarily just run away. And they searched through the law offices, but again, found nothing to indicate there was any kind of struggle. The only thing missing was Cindy's purse and her keys, but they were the only items. So Cindy, her purse, and her keys. But so, again, her car was still there. So the idea that she could have just popped out for lunch to grab something across the street is possible, except for she didn't put the phone on hold. Right. She didn't put the sign in the window. Could she have been having an off day and forgotten? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. She I mean, could I've have done stuff or like distracted. That. She's in her own head. Maybe she had just coincidentally read this passage about this woman getting abducted and she'd been having these nightmares. Again, these are all the weird questions. Possible, but when, it's when you put it all together. Like anybody could forget to put the phones on hold once, but when you put it all together. Mm -hmm. Well, I will I will go back to the fact that she, I'm assuming, opened the door willingly because the door was locked. We're assuming right, that the door was locked when it was just her there. Yes. So the fact that she opened the door, assuming willingly. Yes. Is strange. That's almost as if she did walk out on her own to grab lunch or something like that. Because if there's a scary person on the other side of this door and I'm safely locked in, I'm not opening the door for you. Right. And then the fact that the door was locked behind her, I'm assuming she probably yeah. needed a key for that. Yeah. So it almost does appear that maybe she did leave on her own willingly. And yeah. then something happened. But then after again. She left the, after she left the building. Right. But, but then, then again, why isn't the phone yes. on hold? And why isn't the sign up? Yes. Was that a mistake? Or is. So it does kind of confuse yeah. things. They could have been something she just forgot. And they've just like sent this case in like a spiral. Right. Because but we're it's not just sure. Weird. Are they red herrings? Right. You know, but if that was her normal practice, it is weird that it wasn't done that day. Absolutely. And she's one that really seemed to like follow the rules and, you know, was really fastidious about those kind of things. So, but maybe she was in a weird headspace that day. Yeah, maybe it happens she had to nightmares all, all night and Absolutely. she didn't sleep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Now, even though Cindy had been alone in the office that morning, detectives were able to find two people that saw her. 
a maintenance man from the shopping center recalled seeing her entering the building around 8.50 a.m., which would have made sense because she left her house at 8.30, took her 20-minute commute. She parked by the front door. And there was another woman who had passed by the law offices at 9.45 a.m. and had glanced in the glass window because I mm-hmm. said, there, you know, she sits in front of this kind of glass window. And the woman had glanced in to check the time on the clock and happened to notice that Cindy was sitting at her desk. Okay. So we have visual sightings that she was there. Visual sightings at 9.45. But by 10 o'clock, clients reported that no one had been answering the phone at the office. I mean, that's a very small window now. Someone saw her at her desk at 9.45. She's not answering the phone at 10 o'clock. Now, Cindy's own mother also tried calling her office sometime around 10, but was unable to reach anyone. And she wasn't overly concerned. It's 10 a.m. She had just seen her daughter an hour and a half earlier, and she just assumed Cindy was on the other line with the client, and she'd call her back. And, of course, all these people individually didn't think much of it, but when you put it put all, together, all together, clearly she so wasn't the So there are multiple people saying yes. she's not answering the phone. Okay. Exactly. Detectives interviewed all the people that worked in her law office. While most were able to confirm the fact that Cindy had been growing increasingly fearful over the past several months, none of them were able to offer any insight into what might have happened to her. Cindy's family, boyfriend, and friends were all questioned and all reiterated that despite her fears that someone was stalking her, Cindy appeared to be looking forward to the future. She was fearful, but she seemed to have a good head on her shoulders. As a matter of fact, Cindy was also planning some pretty exciting new ventures. She had recently let her boss know that she was leaving secretarial work in order to start attending classes at the William Tyndale Bible College in Detroit. Oh, very cool. She came from a very fundamentalist family, Mm -hmm. and she was really excited to attend this Bible college, especially because she would be attending college with her boyfriend, Jeff Lemke. Okay. There's a boyfriend. There's a boyfriend. And she knew him through church. They had known each other a long time. Again, Cindy had been raised a devout Catholic fundamentalist. And although she didn't date a lot, she was certain that Jeff was the guy. Oh. So it was kind of one of those logical next steps for her. She was going to go off to college with him. They were going to continue their courtship and then they were going to get married. Okay. She was close to her family and she had a large network of friends and none of them believed that she would voluntarily run away to start a new life. Again, she was making these plans, big changes, good things coming around. So it just seemed strange that she would have chosen this time to disappear if she had chosen to leave voluntarily. That's weird. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Yeah. But again, so many twists in this case, you can't really rule it out. I'm just letting you know, this is kind of where her family was coming from. Okay. No warning signs and no looking back. Sometimes there's warning signs that we don't realize until after the fact. And there were none of those either. Nothing like, now that she's missing, I do remember. Okay. Yeah. Outside of this fear of this possible stalker situation, there was nothing else unusual going on. Okay. And detectives were inclined to agree. The only thing Cindy had taken with her, again, was her purse, her keys, her brand new car, all her clothing and makeup, and all other personnel and belongings had been left behind. She had taken out $5 from a bank account earlier that week, but it had been untouched since then. And I'm not exactly sure how much money is there, but everything that I read, every account that I read, said there was a sizable amount in her savings account, her checking account. So a large amount of money in there. If you're leaving to start over somewhere, you're going to take more than five bucks. You're going to need that. Yeah. You're going to need that. Exactly. They searched through the family's home, but they found nothing to indicate that Cindy had been planning to, to disappear. And Cindy was known for being 
pretty tight laced. And she would call her parents if she was even going to be a few minutes late getting home. So investigators really believed in this case that she had most likely run into foul play, that she hadn't decided to to disappear voluntarily. Which is awful to think about, but given everything we're learning about her, it really is the only thing that makes logical sense. Right. Now, finding no other clues after talking to everybody she was close with, looking at her family home, looking at the office, they decided to look into this graffiti, which again, on its own, didn't seem like a big deal. But now in light of her disappearance, they said, okay, let's look into any kind of lead that we have. And they really wanted to learn who this GW was. Sure. As as do I. (laughs) As we all do, right? And they wanted to see if this GW could have possibly had some kind of involvement with her disappearance. Original suspicion fell on the maintenance man. Remember the maintenance man that saw that he saw her get out of her car at 8.50? Okay. So his initials were GW. Okay. And they thought, okay, this guy certainly would have had prime opportunity to look at her whereabouts. She knew when she was in the office. He knew when she was office in the office by herself. Certainly could be it. And the news outlets really took hold of this mm-hmm. and and really kind of painted him in a pretty terrible light. Because the only thing that happened is she ha- he happened to work in close proximity with her and his initials happened to be GW. Right. But eventually he was ruled out. I will tell you, a lot of people kind of have stuck to this, that it could have been the maintenance man. But Again, he was he was ruled out. You know what? But those things are often in these news reports and things like that. It's happened in so many cases. Like people make these big accusations. And then once they're kind of like ruled out, we don't really hear a whole lot about that. That's a lot less entertaining, quite frankly. Right. And so it really stinks in these cases where people who are completely innocent of these crimes it follows them for the rest of their life. And of course it's written in the newspaper as speculation, but people take it as fact. Oh yeah. Yeah, which is not fair. <laughs> not <laughs> fair, but at guy. the same time, it's also kind of human nature in some yeah. ways. Like, what? Well, you want to find the boogeyman. Like, you want right. to find the guy. Like, we need he's somebody the to blame. You want to find somebody to blame. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he had been ruled out. Again, even now, after the case, people are still like, I think it was the maintenance man. GW, the maintenance man. However, they eventually found the guy. Well, okay. They found a guy. I'll tell you the the details of that. So they found a guy who had admitted that he was the person that had written the graffiti on the wall. However, he did not know Cynthia Anderson. He supposedly wrote it for his girlfriend, a different Cindy, and the messages were for her. It was supposedly just a coincidence that Cindy Anderson happened to work nearby. And I will say that she's not the only Cindy, you know, and it is ironic that she was able to see it. And it is ironic that it appear- reappeared after being erased. And it is ironic given all the other circumstances in this. But okay. The reason I, I'm communicating this in a certain tone. Yeah, I feel like you're not buying it. Is... As far as I know, they never located his girlfriend. Well, okay, that's what I was going to ask. Did he have a girlfriend named Cynthia? Because that would be pretty logical, or Cindy. right? Um, well, apparently this man was like, oh, yeah, it was for another girlfriend. It was for this other girl. And they were just like, oh, well, okay. I don't know. I And, and maybe they did loc- locate her. Mm-hmm. I was just not able to read where they did. So I don't know. You know, I, again, I'm not trying to, you know, like, 
I don't want to be one of the newspaper outlets just pointing right. speculation. However, I just feel like the whole thing was a little weird. And maybe it truly was innocent. He had a, a it was a shopping center. So it's very likely there was another Cindy that worked in the shopping center. And he, you know, wrote it on the wall. And maybe there's a reason why the police aren't sharing additional information. Um, but I don't know. Kind of strange. It's still strange. Even, yeah, it is strange. And again, I think we need to note, even if that wasn't for her, I, my opinion is that Cindy full, like fully believed it was for her. Oh, I know she believed it was for her. Yeah. How would you not? Right. Why would you not? Given all the other things that were going on. Yeah. Yeah. And detectives were also aware of the frightening phone calls that Cindy had apparently been getting at work, but they were unable to develop any solid leads on where they were coming from. Again, no caller ID and no one reported receiving any calls after Cindy disappeared. Oh, no. Which that could mean so many different things. You think so many different things? Because to me, it means whoever was calling her is the person who took her. It's possible. Or... Maybe the calls weren't coming in as frequently as Cindy may be reported. Okay. So I will say this. As you're talking about this, trying to be devil's advocate, I am thinking, what if Cindy had just become so amped up by these scary dreams that things that were not related and maybe were not even threatening just appeared to be threatening to her? So maybe they were just wrong numbers. Right. And that's why I would be curious, like, what was this person on the other line saying? Right. And Where no they, one knows. Right. Because she So maybe they it. genuinely were. Like, maybe they genuinely were just horrible, terrifying messages. Or maybe there was really nothing but her paranoia right. had made them into something more. So for some reason, as you're, and I hate to say this because I'm not at all saying this is the case in this scenario, but being devil's advocate, I'm kind of thinking of the movie Black Swan. Yeah. Where Natalie Portman's character in her own oh, head. That movie freaks me out. I love it. <laughs> oh, it freaks me out so much. But in her own head, she's yeah. seeing everything around her as a as a threat. Right. And so I'm thinking, okay, if, if Cindy is scared because of these dreams and these premonitions, everything, things that could be completely neutral. Yeah, innocuous stuff. Are becoming, thre- are threatening to her. Yeah. If that's the case, okay, I can see it. Maybe maybe the calls are not coming in as regularly. But my gut still tends to go to maybe they stopped because well, and again, she this wasn't is there. The police genuinely believe there was foul play. And her family no fully believes that. there was foul play. Sure, yeah. I'm just, I don't know. So I'm just kind of giving yeah. all options here. Mm-hmm. The, a large-scale search was conducted in the area surrounding the shopping center. But nothing was found. Toledo police then expanded the search to include known dumping grounds through the city, which is oh, for her family. That's just so brutal. And Cindy's boyfriend and many of her friends assisted police as they come through parts of the city where Cindy probably would not have gone voluntarily mm-hmm. looking for either her or her remains. Mm-hmm. I mean, as sad mm-hmm. as that is. Nothing really more was found. But then about a month after her disappearance, there was a possible break in the case. Police received a phone call. It was a woman, and she was speaking barely above a whisper. Oh. And she was insisting that she wanted to stay anonymous, but she had a tip about Cindy's disappearance. Okay. She revealed that Cindy Anderson could be found 
in the basement of a White House, alive, Mm. but captive, in the basement of a White House. And she was describing the area, but she didn't give an address. All she said was it was one of two houses standing right next to another owned by a single family. Like, it was kind of this, like, enigmatic description of these houses where she could be found. And the police were saying, give give us more. We need more description. Who's holding her? What is her condition? What's going on? And she just kept saying, I got to go. I got to go. And then she hung up. That's really terrifying. Yeah. Because if this is valid, if this isn't like a prank call or something like that, this woman appears to be very scared mm-hmm. and um, believe what she's reporting to be true, but also believing that she's in danger reporting it right she did call back later that day Mm. and it was clear that the same woman it sounded the Mm -hmm. same but she gave no more information before she hung up again but she's obviously trying to at least alert police to something to something police tried very hard to find the place she was describing but they can never find anything that fit the description so nothing ever so they could not find a white house no not not where she was describing it no oh man i just got this huge pang of I don't even know what the word is for Cindy's family because yeah. what if you had a loved one missing and someone calls in and says she's in this basement of this house she's being held captive and they just can't find the house I mean how awful that must feel yeah and again you and I have been doing this long enough we know it could have totally been a false lead too it could have been absolutely but when you are desperate you oh you, absolutely you will look at ev- under every rock and so. False lead or not, until it's checked out. Yeah. I mean, how could you sleep at night? I'm totally with you. And the police really did try. They could just never sure. find the location. Which is just so frustrating. Yeah. Eventually, all the leads just kind of dried up. Sure. They tried to drum up some more information by posting a $10,000 reward for any information in the case, but nothing came of it. And even though Detectives were pretty sure she met with foul play. There was no evidence to prove their theory and no suspects. Yeah, yeah, there's nobody. Nothing. There's nobody. She's just gone. Oh, my gosh. There was not another word in the case until 1995. So she disappeared in 1981. 14 years later. Exactly. There was a bizarre twist in this case. Cindy's employer... Richard Neller, he was one of the attorneys that worked at the firm. Mm Because remember, we talked about two other attorneys who were really very kind, in my opinion. I thought they were awesome. And on it. And on it, exactly. So Richard Neller was the owner of the firm, one of the owners. Okay. He and one of his friends, Jose Rodriguez Jr., were indicted on running a drug distribution ring in Toledo. Again, in 1995, so 14 years after the disappearance. The owner of the law firm where she worked. That's correct. Was running a drug ring. That's correct. Okay, that changes some things. Neller and Rodriguez were two of nine people arresting in connection with a cocaine ring that police believe have been operating in Toledo since 1978. Hmm. So mm-hmm. that certainly would have encapsulated the time period where Cindy disappeared. Now, federal prosecutors theorize that Cindy had possibly overheard a conversation between the two men regarding one of their drug deals and had been abducted and killed so that she wouldn't tell anyone. 
This is totally speculation. Sure, but it, but, but but we do know he was indicted. So we we while he was indicted for the drug ring. For the drug ring. For sure. And there were theories that they were involved with her disappearance, but you know, but even if we do know for a fact that he at the very least had a drug ring going on, and he's the owner. There was some bad. So there's stuff. some shady, shady stuff. She's around shady characters. Stuff. Yeah, that that is that wasn't that came to light after her. We know that for a fact. Yeah. Now, alternatively, while Rodriguez was on trial, so the guy kind of in charge of everything that was mm-hmm. friends with Neller at the law firm. A when he was on trial, a witness testified that he'd confessed to killing Cindy. Like, Rodriguez had confessed to a friend that he had killed Cindy. Right. Oh. But yeah. this is a jailhouse informant? It's a jailhouse informant. Mm-hmm. And supposedly, he had killed Cindy to send a message to Neller for not representing him properly in a previous trial. So, you know, even though Rodriguez and Neller were, like, you know, business partners in this cocaine ring, apparently Rodriguez was angry at Neller. And so he killed the receptionist to send a message it seems a little far-fetched to me. And again, it was a jailhouse informant. So... But you always have to take those because I'm assuming he was wanting something in return. Uh, of course. Um, mm, and the the motive doesn't make sense. I can understand you didn't pay me my money or you didn't do this. You crossed me. So I'm going to show you how serious I am by taking this girl. That, I feel like, is kind of a valid motive. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you... Let me show you what I can do kind of thing. And they're definitely bad dudes. I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to do it. Running a drug ring is bad. I don't know if it's the same level as murderer. Okay, fair. Although, (laughs) I mean. (laughs) Yeah. But but you know what I mean? To me, there is a difference between running, selling drugs, running a drug ring. Of course. But if you're going to protect this very lucrative enterprise. You're going to do it, right? Well, and that's the so thing. of these two theories. If if you want to believe that Neller and Rodriguez are involved, I think the first scenario is probably more likely than you know the first one where she heard too much. Basically, she was the proverbial she knew too much. I think that's a more likely scenario than somebody tried to send her a, send somebody a message by abducting the secretary. I agree because even then, even if you don't want to kill somebody at this point, now you feel like you have to choose between your potential freedom like she could say what she knows and you right. go to prison so you almost have to kill her right because i mean no you know i hear what, I mean? what you're like saying the, the i mean if you're, if you're in that mindset if you're right. if you're in this world right, right correct however there was no physical evidence linking mm. either of the two men to cindy's disappearance or murder and they both have vehemently denied that they had anything to do with it which quite frankly if one of them turned on the other one and said hey this is where she is this is where you'll find her like it probably would have been beneficial if one of them had given the other one up for it. Right. But neither did. A federal drug task force spent three days searching the area around a large local pond looking for Cindy's body. They figured if it was a quick kill, she would have probably been disposed around this area. And they never found anything. And although Richard Neller and Jose Rodriguez would remain persons of interest in this case, neither of them have ever been charged in connection with Cindy's disappearance. Wow. Yeah. Now, there was also some speculation that Cindy could have been a victim of Anthony and Nathaniel Cook. Have you heard of these dudes? 
Uh, maybe. I now am aware of them. And Brothers? I hope, yes. So you are aware. I maybe. I am now aware of them because of this case. And I hope to never think about them again after I tell you this next paragraph. They are serial killer brothers who committed a series of at least nine rapes and murders of mostly couples in the Toledo, Ohio area between 1973 and 1981. And it so was the time frame and the location. Absolutely. Matches. Absolutely. Because again, she disappeared in 1981. Mm-hmm. They're awful people. I mean, most serial killers are, but they take the cake. <sighs> They're it's just, yeah. Well, I mean, truly horrible horrible things that they've done. And without you reminding me what any of those are, just off the bat, the fact that you have brothers that are both serial killers Mm -hmm. tell me they must have come from a really awful childhood scenario. Because, to I mean, to be a serial killer, you really have to have a lot of of damage, I think, to make a person become a serial killer. So the fact that there's two in a family tells me something. Something's wrong there. Something is definitely wrong. Because I'm me, I did spend an extra, like, half a minute trying to find more information about them. Because I had the same thought. Mm -hmm. Like, what horrible thing happened to you to make you like this? There was very little information about their background. Oh, wow. And quite frankly, I just... What they did was so despicable to me. I wanted oh. to spend as little time looking at them as possible. Hmm. So I quickly just moved on. Okay. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that they're connected? Oh, could be. Okay. So say there was a scenario where she had decided to run out for lunch. Mm-hmm. And she walked out that door and one of these dudes happened to be around. Mm-hmm. They're serial killers, which means they, you know, they definitely have a lot of sociopathic tendencies. So mm-hmm. obviously they, they're killing people. So yeah. they they don't have a lot of compassion for any of their victims. But they believe in many of these situations, um, actually in all of their situations, that the murders were racially motivated. <gasps> um, oh, yeah, Anthony and Nathaniel were both black men mm-hmm. and all of their victims were white. So, and again, I wasn't able to find anything in their past, so I'm not really sure why that came about, but something really gnarly happened there. And again, Cynthia was a white woman, and so if she happened to be walking out, was trying to go across the street, grab some food, maybe they just snatched her. It is it is definitely possible. They would be interesting to look in. I mean, we don't really like serial killers around here. <laughs> and we don't we don't really focus too much on <laughs> that's I mean, an understatement. <laughs> I mean, but j- as podcast hosts, yeah. We don't really love telling serial killer stories, but they already have me intrigued because they don't fit the profile of serial killers. Uh, that's serial killers just, are generally middle aged white men. That's just that's generally what a serial killer no, is. No, these guys are gnarly, and they, their victims are normally of the same yeah race. No, as themselves, they're very peculiar. I so mean, that is kind of, very interesting. It's kind of harkening, yeah, kind of harkening back to like our Dana Sue Gray case, where like she doesn't fit the mold of like the classic yeah. serial killer either, and and these guys don't, but. You know, they, they, you know, raped and killed like a 12 year old. Oh, my God. No, they're just horrible. They're just horrible, horrible people. And they would do these things where they would like, you know, torture one side of the couple while the other one watched. I mean, just this horrible, awful, awful stuff. Masochistic, torturous. Just terrible. Yeah, really bad. Um, but again, all of their victims were white. So Cindy definitely fit their profile. Okay. And she would have been in that age range that they would have been interested in. I She's mean, in the area and it was the same time frame. So possibility. It is definitely a possibility. Now, both brothers have denied any involvement in her disappearance. However, it is definitely possible that one of them abducted and killed her. Well, and honestly, unless 
And some serial killers do give long lists of everybody they ever harmed and and sometimes people they didn't. Mm -hmm. But sometimes in that same vein, serial killers like to continue to torture people in any way they can. And sometimes that's withholding information. So these both have been pretty tight lipped. Okay. Um, about almost all of them. And the only ones they have really been convicted on are the ones where they were found guilty because of DNA profiling. Okay. Which didn't come around until the 1990s. Okay. And they're not giving anything up. So. They're not giving anything up. Away so the fact that they haven't admitted to it doesn't really mean much to me. Okay. Um, no, not saying it was. Just saying it's definitely a possibility. It's a possibility. Yeah. Wow. Ugh. Now, there's also this small chance that we've alluded to that Cindy could have run away voluntarily. I don't think so. Yeah. But, but I guess we can't rule it out. And I guess what I will say is by voluntarily, um, I, I want to almost backtrack that word because voluntarily would mean she left of sound mind. I think that possibly these dreams, the phone calls, the passage in the book. What if she had a mental break? Okay. See, that takes me back to the black swan effect, we'll call it, for the sake of this episode. Yeah. But yes, what if she ran away because she felt she was in danger? Yeah, it's possible. Also, let's go back to it being her of sound mind leaving. The only additional behavioral change that was noted is her father said that she had recently been spending a lot more time on her looks, particularly on her makeup, hmm. and so much so that she had been kind of skipping breakfast because, you know, she didn't have enough time to do all the makeup, the, all the quaffing mm -hmm. and, and the breakfast. So that does make me think, was she really just kind of coming into her own? Was she changing it? Or maybe she had a new boyfriend okay that's what i was thinking uh a new attorney a new good-looking attorney hired on at the law firm something was uh, a little different going with that so let's say she left voluntarily of sound mind so let's explore both avenues okay, okay. let's so she left of sound mind or she left you know having a mental break so mm -hmm. let's go with the first scenario so if she had possibly met someone new she's spending a lot more time on her appearance and literally her dad said he felt like she was trying to become like a debutante I mean, oh. that's the word that he used, which I think is kind of a strong word. Again, he come, it's a very fundamentalist Christian family. And so I imagine spending any time on your appearance to him may, may not have been what he would have wanted for Cindy. But and if you don't take it literally, I can also see it just being like the way a dad who doesn't get it doesn't get who the doesn't makeup, get it just being like, oh, what are you, a debutante? Like, it, that's very possible. So can, it could be either way. It could be either way. But let's take the scenario of she has this new bow. Mm -hmm. What if that new bow had come to pick her up for lunch? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so she left. So he she voluntarily got in his car. Now, if you wanted to go back and say that that tip, that phone call that came in, maybe she got in his car. And he took and had her captive somewhere. And again, I'm completely. So it's both. It's yes and. I, yes, she left on her own, but then something bad And again, to her. I'm completely cherry picking out sure. of this like sea of strange details mm -hmm. to lace together a scenario that makes sense. But that's, that's all you can do really in this case. Right. There's nothing else. Yeah. So the fact that she had been kind of changing her appearance, you know, is interesting. That is interesting. But I do want to go back to the fact that. Her bank account, which had a significant amount of money in it, was never touched. Mm -hmm. So if she had run away from... So maybe this guy turned out to actually be a good guy. Her bank account was never touched and her social security number was never used again. 
which is hard to do if you're going to pick up and start a whole new life. I mean, you got to really make some plans yeah. to be able to do that. So if this guy had turned out to be a good guy, guy of her dreams, maybe she maybe she didn't want to go to college with this new guy, like or with her boyfriend. Right. Maybe she didn't really want to go. She kept telling her family she wanted to go, but maybe she didn't want to be a fundamentalist Christian anymore. Right. Maybe she wanted to break out of this mold. Maybe she met this new guy. They ran off and started a new life. But again, social security never used, money never used. Maybe he turned out to be a bad guy. Maybe he did abduct her, but that's why there's no evidence of a struggle. It's because he got she got in the car voluntarily. I don't know. I mean, we're reaching, but what else can we do? Yeah, exactly. Now, again, let's go to the sad possibility that she had some kind of mental break, which could happen. Again, the authorities think it was foul play, but I don't think you can can rule it out. I mean, these strange... Maybe it was an indication that she was having some mental, you know, or emotional struggles, the fact that she was having these nightmares. And then her paranoia just sent her off the rails. Right. And I I have read up a little bit on, say, mental illnesses such as like schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And I'm in no way insinuating she, I mean, how could I anyway? I'm not a doctor. Uh But I do know that issues like schizophrenia often show up like at that age when you're, yes, like in your early 20s and things like that. So if it was something like that, some kind of mental illness that was just starting to present, uh, that would be the right age. Yeah, it absolutely Where would it could have happened. It absolutely was. And maybe reading that romance novel, she got to that passage, it triggered her, and then she just set it down and just walked out. As you've been telling the story, in the back of my mind, I've been thinking, but what if, what if it was all in her head? Mm-hmm. Which my gut doesn't tell me that it is. My gut yeah. tells me that she was actually abducted by somebody. I don't and, know. And who. your and your opinion would be the same as law enforcement. Right. That's my gut. But in the back of my mind, there is this part of me, but what if? The thing that kind of makes me think that probably isn't what happened, in my opinion, is because wouldn't eventually she show up somewhere? She'd show up, depending on the level of the break, eventually wouldn't she show up at a shelter or in a hospital? I mean, to just pick up and disappear and start a whole new life with with no social security number, with no money, that would be hard to do. Mm-hmm. Her face is being plastered all over oh, things. Yeah. Her story is still being told 42 years later. Yeah. Nobody's seen her. Nobody's ever, you know, said, hey, I think you might be this person. I, I just think that's the part that kind of makes me think, I don't know that that is what happened, unless she had a mental break and then found herself in a situation where she met with foul play or, I don't know, got lost in the woods and died and was never found. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? I guess it's possible. But that's my hold up there. Yeah. no, All completely valid. And her father was interviewed, of course, for the Unsolved Mysteries case, you know, sure. back in the 90s. And he seemed to allude to the fact that he thought she may have had amnesia. Now, I don't think this is based in anything except probably a father truly trying to be hopeful that she's still out there. That's kind of my take on it. And his idea, if she did have amnesia, of course, he shared that inspiring message of like, we still love you. We still want you back. Please still come home, which is just heartbreaking. Um, But he seemed to have that opinion that it could simply be amnesia. Now, maybe he was just grasping at straws because having amnesia and being lost is certainly better than being you know, the alternative, right? Which is to her being deceased. So it it may not be based on anything, but he seemed to think that was a possibility. Okay. Again, that's out there. I don't know Mm -hmm. how common amnesia 
is. But she had had this mental break, then maybe it resulted in amnesia. I don't know. And maybe there's more we don't know. Maybe there's a family history of mental illness or I don't even know what causes amnesia. Trauma maybe, but there may be other things that cause it. I don't even know. I think there's there's definitely several things that could right. have caused it. I would want to know why he thinks that. I would want to know what makes him think she's still alive. There was no explanation for it. Mm-hmm. And again, it could be based in nothing more than just hope. Which, hey. I, and I give that I, to him. I, sure. If that's what keeps you getting out of bed every day, then yeah. yes. Well, sadly, Cindy's mother died of cancer in 1983, just two years after her disappearance. Oh, oh, that poor family. So her father, not only did he lose his daughter, but yeah, he's also dealing with a terminally ill wife. That's awful. Yeah. And um, her father passed away in 2006. But her, she still has lots of friends and family that are still looking for her and want to uh, – one day find her and learn what happened to her. So Cynthia Jane Anderson was 20 years old when she went missing in 1981. She had brown eyes and brown hair. And at the time of her disappearance, she was five feet, four inches tall and weighed 115 pounds. She was last seen wearing a white dress with pink stripes, brown pantyhose and beige open toed sandals. She has a chicken's pox scar on her forehead and a fish hook shaped scar on the inside of her right knee. If you have any information about Cindy, please contact the Toledo Police Department at 419-254-3111. Oh, that's such a tragic case. It's, it's and I mean, almost unbelievable. Well, and the thing is, you told us at the beginning, this is one where I really have no idea. And I, you're right. I have. I really no have no idea. idea. There are only a few that I don't at least have a leaning towards. This mm-hmm. is one of them. I have. I have genuinely no idea. To me, what makes the most sense is she met with foul play. But again, that doesn't. I am bothered. I will tell you, I am bothered by the fact that she left the office willingly and didn't put the phones on hold. Yeah. Because as a receptionist, it's not a hard job, but there are some things that you just do, and that would be like. It would almost Breathing. be like automatic. Right. You don't even realize you do it. You just do it and you don't do it. That's right. Unless she left under some kind of mental duress, which is the Correct. only reason I keep kind of coming back to that. Right. Because it would be the only explanation as to why she would have done something so outside of her normal routine. Yeah. And outside of her character. Because mm-hmm. she was known to be very responsible. Right. Because I don't think she opened that door feeling threatened. Because first of all, you wouldn't grab your purse if you're being abducted. You wouldn't take absolutely. Your, let me stop and take my purse. This was before cell phones, so you wouldn't. I mean, you might think, "Let me grab my cell phone," but this was well before that. She didn't have a cell phone. So this book has mm-hmm. is a really big deal. Was it coincidence that it was open to that chapter, or was it? Did it lead to some kind of mental break? Again, if you believe that that was the scenario, and then the third one, which I think. People are reaching a little bit too much. They think that she purposely flipped to that chapter and left that book open as a message, like an encrypted message. But I'm sorry. If you're being abducted, you're going to take, hang on, let me flip through my book real quick. Let me find the right page. Let me find the right page. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. I feel like that's reaching. Oh, yeah. Um, But again, this case, it kind of opens itself up to these strange theories because look at you and i we are completely speculating at this point sure yeah yeah we know so what makes our speculation better than anyone else's really yeah no it's true you're right well that's what you you delivered you told us it was going to be twisty and turny and you know what you also said it might be short and i think with as much discussion as we've had i don't think it is (laughs) well short for a stephanie episode we'll leave it like that but wild 
I'm so glad that I got an opportunity to cover this because I have no idea. Me neither. Now, after you've told us all the um all the details, I do remember hearing about this before, okay. but I couldn't have told you. I couldn't have told you the details. I just I do remember hearing about it. So probably back during my unsolved mysteries <laughs> days. Wow, I'd really love to see this get solved too. But man, I wish we knew more about that house. That tip that came in, I really do. That that bothers me. Yeah, I know. And again, was it real? Was it made up? I don't know. I feel like if you were just going to call in like a fake tip, and again, we could talk about this for hours. We could probably <laughs> speculate on this case. The fact that she was whispering and like hard to hear. Yeah, and then strange. she called in again. Like, I feel like those are great lengths to go to if you're just trying to have a little fun by ruining somebody else's day, which quite frankly, that's, I don't yeah, know what like, kind of person would get pleasure it, out of that. But Okay. So, but it harkens back to like the, the solder children mm-hmm. where that woman believed that they had been buried in her yard. But it turned out it was a dog. Do you remember this woman? Oh, yes. Yeah. And and she genuinely thought she was being helpful. She did. But she wasn't. She she wasn't. She She wasn't. And so this woman could think she's being helpful. Possibly she has, she's happened to see a woman that kind of resembled Cindy, thought it was her, but it it wasn't anything. That's true. But for this woman to truly believe that there's another woman being held captive in a basement, I mean, if it wasn't Cindy. We still need to check out that basement because <laughs> something might be happening. There. Fair enough. Fair enough. W- who was the, wasn't those girls, those girls who were being held? Oh, I cannot think of their names. Yeah. Wasn't that in Ohio? Maybe not. Maybe I'm completely confused. No, I think you might be right. But I'm thinking, I wonder, and wasn't that a White House? I oh. mean, probably nowhere in the area. Wow. You are really trying to tie things together here. <laughs> I'm but just thinking a woman being held in a basement. Uh, All yeah. things are possible. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we know that to be true. Well, that was a great episode, Stephanie, and I really enjoy it. And you listeners, as our Patreon listeners, you really make a big difference when it comes to our branch of Hope Fund. Yes. So if you loved this episode, love us or love the branch of hope, please like and subscribe. Tell someone we're doing good work and we need you to help spread the good word. As our Patreon members, we would love to hear from you. Make sure that you are on our Facebook page. We have friends of the Dark Oak Facebook page that you are privy to. And again, if you're in our top tier, not only do you get these episodes, but you're also going to get a live with Cynthia and I. Make sure that you are going to our Twitter page or our Facebook page to let us know on the online poll which one, uh, which of our Branch of Hope organizations you select for this month. And also let us know in that Friends of the Dark Oak which one you would like as well because you get a double vote. If you would like to connect with us in other ways, you have any questions about Branch of Hope, have any questions about this case, have any questions about Cynthia and I please let us know by emailing us at thedarkoakpodcast at gmail.com. We are open to your questions, comments, anything else you want to share. And for other ways to connect, you can hop on over to thedarkoak.com. Thanks for being awesome, guys. And you are. You All of our listeners are awesome, but you Patreon members, you're extra special. Shh. Don't tell the other extra special. Thanks for listening, you shiver seeker Patreons. You guys rock. Yes, you do. Bye. 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 
This episode of The Dark Oak was created, researched, written, recorded, hosted, edited, published, and marketed by Cynthia and Stephanie of Just Us Gals Productions and made possible by you, our shiver-seeking listener. Special thanks goes to Justice Himes for our incredible artwork and Ryan Crete for our amazing music.